Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat Conversations with filmmakers where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. And we will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I'll provide you with guests and the information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. And so now let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. My guest today is Mr. Sam Christensen. He's returning for part two. We had a fabulous conversation re- recently, and we're going to continue that about acting success and charisma and making it in collaboration with directors, a whole host of things, so you're going to want to stay tuned. You're also going to want to join us in the chat room because the chat room is open, and invite a friend to join you in listening and or chatting. Reach out right now. Grab someone from across the room or email them or tweet them or Facebook them, or whatever you choose to do, but invite someone, whether you're listening live right now or archived, to uh, uh, listen along with you and uh, and listen to what Sam has to say, because you're going to want to. I'm going to tell you more about Sam in just a minute. The official web address is rexsykes.com. That's me. I'm your host. It's R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com. That's the official URL of Rex Sykes Movie Beat. And all of these recordings, or, sorry, all of these conversations, these interviews, these discussions, record live. And then they are archived, and they're available at rexsykes.com at the interviews blog page. Just go in, find the guest who you want to listen to, search their name or scroll through, find them, read their biography. And within the biography is a bold link that you can listen to. It'll say, to listen to if it's archived, and it'll say, upcoming live, and it'll give you the date and the time to listen when the show is live. So you can listen right there from com to these shows. You can listen from Blog Talk Radio. You can get all the archive shows from the podcast as podcasts from the iTunes store absolutely free. There's over 300 hours of fabulous professional filmmakers giving away the farm, giving secrets, uh, how-tos, what to do, what not to do, uh, tips, suggestions, advice, golden nuggets to advance your careers and to help you make and complete your projects faster, less expensively, more smoothly, without all the hitches and glitches as best as possible, uh, and to get it from uh, development from the idea all the way to an audience. And so um, all we ask in return is that you share this information, these websites, this, this website, these guest interviews with all your friends in your industry, contacts, and connections. And one other thing, we ask that you leave comments during the show, whether live or archived. There's a, a comment window right there at the player. You're listening now. Uh, or archived, there's a comment player. Leave comments, please, because it helps increase our web presence. It uh, allows for other people to stumble upon us and find us and uh, and to also participate. So if you do that, uh, we would certainly appreciate it. So invite someone to join us right now and join us in the chat room. Leave comments for the show. And stay tuned for my guest, Mr. Sam Christensen. I'm going to tell you about him right now. Sam Christensen 
part two. Now, go ahead and listen to part one at your leisure. But this is this is Sam coming up and uh, and continuing our discussion. And uh, he's an image expert. He began his 35-year career as a concert promoter and then worked uh, as a company manager for the longest-running musical of all time, The Fantastics. Later, Sam served as executive assistant to the renowned playwright, screenwriter, director, Arthur Lorenz. CBS and MTM Productions brought Sam to Hollywood as an independent casting director, and among his many TV and feature film credits uh, was the most popular small screen series of all time, MASH. Uh, Sam was the first person to ever be accorded front uh, title billing on a major Hollywood release uh, for casting work, and that was on the MGM film Coma. Pictures like The Champ, Clash of Titans followed, and Sam continued to cast Broadway tours, uh, television series, and pilots and acclaimed miniseries like the uh, Emmy-winning Jonestown, The Guiana Tragedy. Uh, he retired from active casting in 1982 to become a personal manager and guided the careers of many important actors, including Rita Wilson, Brian Stokes, uh, uh, Brian Stokes Mitchell, sorry, uh, Patricia Elliott, Jean-Claude Van Damme, and for two decades, Sam has thrived as a teacher and personal consultant advising working actors and movie stars and community leaders and political candidates, entrepreneurs, and, C- C- and CEOs uh, regarding his original process, which he developed first for artists and has expanded to the corporate market and is the subject of an upcoming book, Charisma, The Art of Authenticity. So Sam knows his stuff, and we're happy to have him here, and I'm going to bring him on right now. How you doing, Sam? I'm doing well, thanks. Oh, it's so good to have you back. Thank you. It's great to be here. I had fun last time. And I did too. And you've been traveling in the meantime, and and uh, you just want to catch us up a little bit to uh, how you're doing and and what you're doing. Uh, well, I'm doing well, and uh, I've been uh, I was in Atlanta for a week uh, doing one of the uh, workshops that uh, that I do, and Atlanta has become one of the sort of satellite cities for our studio and. Um, it's uh, it's fun for me because uh, while I work with people other than actors, generally in the uh, in the outside traveling, it's primarily actors and uh, the uh, filmmaking and acting communities in in the cities that we go to uh, are 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 uniquely uh, placed. Each one of them, they're different, and it's sort of uh, it's fun to go find out sort of how the um, the Toronto group uh, differs from the Atlanta group and Washington, D.C., and Chicago and New York and the various places we travel. Uh, the, the communities are different, and the, the emphasis is, uh, is uh, different and sort of how the communities organize themselves and get films made. And it was really exciting in Atlanta because that southeast uh, area, Atlanta is sort of the hub and the amount of Television and webisode and filmmaking that's going on there is really uh, uh, astonishing. There's just lots, and there are actors that have full-on um, profit-making careers uh, solely as actors, and there's a pretty solid community of them in in Atlanta. So that's fun. So, and and we're going to talk a little bit about that in, in, in uh, upcoming minutes. But uh, when when you see things like that in Atlanta or Chicago or somewhere else. Are there are there any um, uniform or similar practices that these people are doing in, in these regional areas to to uh, enjoy enduring success as an actor to 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 uh, be able to forge a career where 
they make th- their living or or all of their money essentially from from doing what they want to do as actors? Well, I think the uh, the key in those markets, and I think it's really an important key in the Hollywood market as well, is diversification. You know, when I first came into this business, it was, for want of a better term, ghettoized. If you were on uh, soap opera, you weren't welcome in nighttime, and if you were right. on television, you weren't really welcome in film, and, you know, there was there was all that separation. And that has broken down, I think, everywhere, but in these uh, local markets – especially these really growing ones, it's uh, essential that people uh, understand they're doing voiceover in the afternoon and then uh, in the evening they're doing an industrial film and then they're doing a play on the weekends and then they've got a small independent film shooting a little bit out of town in the country and they're just putting together careers out of various kinds of applications of presentational skills. And you know, on the one hand, there's that drive that I just want to be in the movies and I just want to be a movie star, of course, that drives people. But um, on the way to that, this ability to just ply your talents in all of these different directions. And, you know, these people just travel with their, uh, their change of clothes in the trunk and they're ready to go put on the business suit and do the industrial film in the morning and then they're playing a shop clerk in some independent film in the afternoon and then they're driving to a theater to do a... A, a stage role at night, and um, and they're putting together careers. It's it's driving around, but it's a real test of their skills and talents, and their ability to to adjust and diversify is is admirable, and it's really delivering careers. There are the core of people I work with in Atlanta are making not just livings, but solid livings, really good livings, um, better than they could do in some other secondary job. And that's pretty exciting for professional actors to be making a, you know, sort of a house-buying, family-raising kind of, of living in a local market and be able to hold their heads up as artists and be entirely self-supporting and, and profit-making. So uh, it's really – and there aren't just two or three of them, you know. There's always been in every local market the, the few actors that, that really work. But now in, in Albuquerque and – um, Atlanta and Dallas and Chicago and all of these local markets have big communities of actors that, you know, completely make their living uh, as as acting professionals. Are there is there the bridging of their their acting uh, also into Hollywood as a result of uh, uh, websites like Actors Access or now casting? I mean, people since. We have the internet that that make it easier for people who are regional to to get jobs in Hollywood. Well, yeah, and also the other way around. Um, I think what really um, uh, makes a difference to these people is that because of the online presence, uh, directors who from Hollywood who are going to make Hollywood pictures, but in these uh, in these locations, uh, you know, because of film commissions and the various kinds of incentives they have to go to these places. They do that, and they do a great deal of uh, certainly all their day player, three-day player, all that sort of casting um, online. A great deal of that is set up. There's a lot of video auditioning so that a Hollywood director arrives, you know, with things cast or at the final callback stage, and all of that has happened via Internet. And then, of course, that introduces the Atlanta actor, let's say, to a Hollywood person and then they come out here. And I have found in several instances that some of these people that have burgeoning careers in a local market 
have more Hollywood contacts that they've met in their local market than actors here living in Hollywood have um, because the access when um, when California filmmakers get to these locales, you know, they have they get to know these actors. They use them and they count on them and they remember them if they return to those locales so that those people create a real um, uh, backlog of contacts that help them when they uh, when they submit themselves for projects that are located in Hollywood, and they really know people. Um, and that's an interesting thing. You know, it, it, the Internet has provided this ability for us to have contacts nationally in a, in a way that I think, you know, didn't exist at all before the Internet. So um, it really does make an enormous amount of difference and allows these people to really have national careers. Is there, you know, can, can we talk a little bit about the mindset that maybe actors need to adopt? You know, when I was 10, 12, 14, 15, 18, 25, um, you know, all I wanted to do was be a movie star or, you know, even more than a TV star because you talked about the segregation. I didn't want to do soap operas. I didn't want to do commercials. I wanted to be a movie star. It took me a long time. And I had a friend who said, you know, I don't, I don't want to be a star. I just want to be a working character actor. And I thought he was nuts. I was like, why would you want to do this and and, and not have the benefits of being known? And he said, well, I, I, but I'd work all the time, you know. And uh, and I, it took me a long time to even begin to appreciate that thinking. And then, you know, as as I got older, the thought became, yeah, I'd just like to be able to make my pension and welfare every year. I'd like yeah, to be yeah. able to, you know, get my insurance. I'd like to make this where I'm living and I can take care of my family. You know, I, it's not the stardom so much. It's just the idea that, you know, yeah, I've got you know a job that I love to do, and I'm doing it, and I'm making the money, and I'm and I'm benefiting from it. So, is there a mindset for actors that they really kind of need to wrap their head around? I mean, well, I, I think younger actors do that. You know, I think in the in the days that you and I were arriving uh, on the scene, that uh -huh. sort of um, emphasis on the top of the market was just naturally there. That's where we saw all the the excitement was was at the you know top end of it. But I think uh, a lot of things happened in the 80s and 90s that really let people know, I think across the board, not just in show business, but across the board, that we could diversify. You know, I remember the first time I used to live in a house in Hollywood that was sort of a desirable uh, location house because it was an old craftsman house. And I can remember the first time that a very big feature film director came to direct uh, a commercial uh, using our house as a location, and I thought to myself, God, that, that guy directs features. What's he doing directing commercials? And there was a moment when uh, we were talking, and he was asking about the house, and I said, um, you know, I, I think it's uh, interesting you're here doing a commercial. And he says, are you kidding? You know, I'm developing scripts. I've got stuff going on. Um, but in between time, if they'll pay me a chunk of money to come here for three days and direct a commercial, of course I'm going to do it. And, you know, it just really arrived in my head 20-some years ago that that was what everybody was doing. And I think now young actors grow up with that. They, they realize that there are movie stars who are doing, uh, you know, Jeff Bridges is the voice for Ford or I can't remember what car. Oh, jeez. You know, right. uh, and, and he's happy and proud to, to do it and bank the checks and go pick up his Oscar the same week. So... I think that um, it, it's just a different I, – I don't think people have to adjust. I think the adjustment happened around us. 
that you now do whatever it is that allows you to do something you love and work with people you enjoy and make money, whether it's a one-day gig or a feature film for three months or whatever it is. And I think that's true of crew people and writers and directors and actors as well, that it's just a lot more fun to be working and being, be on sets, whatever the, the, the product is. And, you know, we all have standards about things we want to be a part of or stories we prefer to tell. But I think the venue is less important to most people now than the quality of the story that is in whatever venues they choose to work. And that's certainly true of the, of the people in the, in the local markets. That's how careers are, are constructed. And they sort of are, they brag about it. They're, they're thrilled to be on a film over here uh, and doing some small industrial thing over there. They're, they're, it's a badge of honor, you know. Do you think that there's um, a, a little bit different? I mean, you know, I gave my side to it. Do you think there's a difference or do you see a difference now, too? Because, um, you know, we used to we used to talk about how this nation's become a nation of entitlement and people don't want to start, you know, as a fry cook anymore. They want to start as the manager. They don't want to start in the bindery. They want to start as the publisher. You know, do you... With cable, with with all of the access, with Disney running 24 hours and things like that, I mean, my kids are like, I'd like to start a Disney show, you know, make it happen. And I'm like, well, yeah, it takes a lot of work, you know. And um, do, do you find in some ways more people being more realistic with the approach to business or, or and I think, or less? I mean, do you still find those people who go, I'm going to come out and, and you know, it's going to happen instantly because it happened, you know, somebody got a Disney thing or someone got an I2 thing or paranormal activity, you know, hit overnight. Um, you, you know, I guess I'm not asking so much as an observational thing, but again, coming tying it back to what kind of attitude do we really need to embody and or what kind of realistic approach do we need to, without squelching our dreams, but... And, and I think you've addressed it already. You know, I may be asking you to repeat yourself, but uh, the thought occurred to me that I think some people think that success is even easier nowadays than it ever has been. And, and, and do you think that's true or, or, or not? Well, you know what, I think, again, it's it, it, there's so many ways that the Internet has been massively impactful. And I think that this is one of the ways. I think what, what young young folks got when they began to see things happening on YouTube that got millions and millions of viewers and then people got movie deals off of some webisode show, or that began to, to really happen. And, of course, that was because kids had the, the computer time. That happened in their mindset even more than the rest of us. And they really got that these small projects that I can shoot with my digital camera can turn into something. And the fact that I have done little small things with a group of friends on the way to doing bigger things um, just tells me that everything grows. And then you see people like Apatow and Rodriguez and these filmmakers who start with a little band of, of buddies and grow into major film force. Um, I, think, I think it's just part of everybody's mindset that these things are fun and you do what you do to... Um, to uh, get them going, and you you can really make some um, some noise, and then people begin to to notice you. Uh, it's like I've been watching this new series uh, on HBO called Girls. This incredibly talented young woman named Lena Dunham who's created it, 
and I don't know much about her. I'm, I'm, I've got to look her up and find out more, but she's not very old, and she's writing, directing, and producing this with Judd Apatow as her executive producer, wow. and I can't imagine that, um, you know, I didn't know about her before. I'm sure some people do, uh, her past, but, you know, this is a, a young woman who's incredibly talented and put something together, and now she has an HBO series. And whatever it was that that uh, got the attention of Apatow and and um, and HBO was probably some small film she did or something like that. And, and you know, they're just people doing that, and everybody is aware of it. And and I think the internet makes that so present in everybody's life that kids, instead of you know going out the back door to shoot their little eight millimeter, like we always hear about Steven Spielberg. You know, I think now they know they can put that 8-millimeter up on YouTube, and instead of just showing it to their grandparents, they may be showing it to 2 or 3 million people, and all of a sudden they're media stars. And that's just something the Internet's delivered to us. That's really cool. You know, and your attitude regarding all of the changes and everything that's gone on in the past from from you know our early days to now is 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 very inspiring it's, it's very your enthusiasm comes through as you talk about you know whether it's the talent of, of the young lady who's doing the show or whether it's you know changes in 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 the industry through the years um, it, it, I love it Sam it's 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 wonderful and it's and uh, I wish we all had as much enthusiasm and passion as you do. Uh, so let me ask you, in terms of these actors today, again, regionally or otherwise, what do they really need to do to jumpstart their career and, and, and become a responsible career person um, and, and to treat it like a business as opposed to a hobby or an art form that you know is kind of haphazard? How do, how do they make it happen? Well, you know, I think that there's there are several steps to that. I mean, the obvious ones are, you know, to get the proper training and background and experience, and I think that's more and more doable both on the formal education level and then on all of this other kind of uh, level of joining up with friends. And I, I think that that sort of development of a base, a background and education, both formally and in sort of this outlaw kind of fashion is is one piece of it, and that is something people can do wherever they live. They can begin to get that, you know, the, 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 their feet under them in terms of their ability to participate. And then for actors, I think there is deciding what center of activity you want to get to if you want to stay in one of these markets that are closer to home like Atlanta or Dallas or if you want to get yourself to New York or L.A., um, then there is the standard stuff of putting together a, a sort of marketing kind of approach, the picture, resume, reel, gaining experience. And, of course, it's m much more possible to do that with all of these small projects and web projects. You don't have to wait for some casting director at CBS to get wind of you. You know, you can actually create a presence more uh, easily than that. And then I think it really is, I think it's really about putting together the relationships. And, I mean, you know from your life in show business, I certainly know from mine, that I'm still doing business with the people that I was, you know, met when I was first here in, in Hollywood 40 years ago now, um, people that were hitting the streets the same year that I was, 
are now in various places, and, and they're still the people that I'm uh, colleaguing with. And I think that that cannot be underestimated, the sort of value of really becoming a part of the community so that you can listen for all the possibilities, you can get involved, you can volunteer, you can put yourself with new groups, you can create little projects together with various people. Out of that, I think, comes this both body of experience and um, web of contacts that then turns into a real, a real career. And, you know, those are the things that I think especially when people come to a bigger market like New York or L.A. and they're a little bit daunted, uh, it's going to happen, you know, right down the street or off the Internet, somebody putting a crew for a webisode together or Craigslist or all the various places that people get in contact with each other, including the established ones for actors, the acting websites, Act Now, and the various ones. But all of those, putting together those contacts, that's where I think people hear both the information that, that in, increases their awareness and body of experience, and it's also where they make the contacts that lead to projects and lead to working and uh, all the things that one leads, thing leads to the next. I think that mentality of the art community being uh, a group of people that have the same ultimate goal in mind. I mean, everybody wants to make money and have a career, but the, the career choice, is about telling stories and making people feel stuff and learn stuff, and that that can be done through uh, the motion picture and the television screen. And, uh, you know, I think we talked a little bit about it last time. What television offers now is so much more dynamic and exciting than it was 20 years ago or when I first began, um, just in terms of small projects and these outsider kind of projects that show up on big cable and small cable, and it's, uh, it's uh, just really so much more access than, than the generation before this one had. And that makes a tremendous amount of difference. And when kids plug into that uh, and really start um, manifesting on that access, then I, I think the sky's the limit, for, truthfully. The 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 idea of cultivating relationships and, and having them you know from from uh, the onset uh, you know it's often been said it's who you know and and it's equally been said it's who knows you and um, do you have any tips or suggestions uh, for how people can network today or how people can um, you know I mean if they're in film school that's one thing but otherwise you know acting class how do they, how do people meet people. You know, in Hollywood, it's it's. I, I think it's easier today than it ever was. I mean, when back in the early well, yeah, 70s. You know, I think that that contact thing has always had a little too much emphasis on quality and not on quantity. You know, the idea is you've got to know highly placed people. Well, of course, it's fantastic to know somebody who's well placed in an agency or a network or a studio. Of course, that's great. But I think, especially for people getting careers rolling in that first decade of development, it's about quantity. It's about the number of people that you can work with, whether it's three days on a webisode or two weeks on an equity waiver play, or uh, and as a director, designer, producer, actor, writer, any of those things, 
the more people you know and work with, the more people they're connected to, the more people they're connected to, and the web just grows exponentially out of wanting the largest possible community for yourself. Now, I think there's a lot of people that concentrate on trying to get some highly placed contact, and I can't say that isn't worthwhile, but I think so much more access is available to just people of your own stature who are going to grow. I mean, I can remember the whole Judd Apatow group of people. Uh, you know, I knew them all when they were kids that were sharing rides. You know, they didn't have a thing. And uh, and they were just putting it together and uh, coalesced around Judd and certain other people in that group. And they were a funny, lovely bunch of young people. And, you know, they went from bunking in each other's apartments to being major movie producers and stars, and they're still only 40. Uh, and they all did that. You know, they were just a bunch of um, lovable losers who became winners uh, just out of their their talents and their uh, collegiality, if you will, their, their friendship. And um, now, of course, they're, they know each other and they're all highly placed, but uh, they weren't. And I think that when when people just go, it's about working. It's about doing my job. It's about as many opportunities as I can. And in the beginning, you know, the, some of that's going to be for free, a lot of it. Uh, but I'm just going to stake myself to uh, eating beans and doing as many projects as I can. And uh, pretty soon, I know some people, and we're all on the rise, and we tend to pull each other up because people like to work with colleagues. They like to work with friends. And so you just pull folks up with you, and they pull you up with them. And, you know, I've just now seen it happen in the groups that I came with as well as the, the semi-generations each decade after I arrived here, the new bunch, and, and there's a, another group of them. And, um, and then there's the big name groups that we all know, and then there are the ones whose names aren't as famous, but they're working, they're creating, and they're bunches of people, and then those different crowds interact with each other, and, you know, that's how this business is made. That's... That's how the studios were organized. They were just a crowd of people under contract that made movies together, and it looked fancy because it had a gate around it, but it was really just a group of colleagues that had organized themselves to make films. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, uh, very sage very sage words. And um, uh, you, you said the thing about working for free, and I think there's some people who understand that, and some people are kind of put off by it. You know, at one time, I, you know, I, I had the thing of, well, I'm a working actor. They pay me. I don't pay them. I don't pay to showcase. I don't do that. They do this to me. But there are things that I would do tomorrow absolutely free. And, and we know that there are big actors and big names who will take major pay cuts or, or do something for a friend for free. I mean, I understand there's man, managers and agents and an entourage of people, and, and we all have to you know, make a living and feed our families. But, but there's nothing wrong with doing free work to get experience and contacts. Uh, that's incredible advice, you know. Yeah, and I think it's also uh, each time that one considers that, you have to, I think, ask yourself, is, is, look at it as an investment and say, is the return all on the side of the person who wants me to do the work for free, or is the return on my side as well? Because if my labors, my talents are used for free, 
then what am I what am I receiving in return? And is there some balance here that isn't necessarily monetary, but I'm I'm getting stuff now. The the classic thing for the actor is, am I getting stuff for my reel? And you know a lot of times. Actors will say, well, you know, after I did it, the director said I couldn't have any till it was edited and it's two years and now I've done this free work and they're editing so slowly. And I just say to them, look, in the beginning, if you're going to agree to work for free, then you say, I understand that the entire product will not be available till it's edited. But if I'm going to work for free, I want to know that there's some outtakes and some clips that you don't mind me having just of my camera work, shots of me, just stuff that won't damage the story of your uh, your product, but that I can use on my reel next week instead of two years from now. And it's just about being smart. I'm willing to uh, offer my skills for nothing or for little in exchange for what. And, I, you know, people have to begin to be um, – Working for free doesn't mean that you don't have to be proud of your contribution and that it's worth something even if it isn't dollars. And to be able to negotiate for its value, again, even if it isn't dollars, is something young talents need to be able to stand up for themselves and say, here's what I want. I realize money isn't in the equation, but here, here are the things I'd like to have. And I think most agents, at least the ones who are interested in developing young careers, a lot of agents have moved on from that. They're representing established people, and they don't have time to develop. But the ones who do it, I think, understand that. I think they realize their kids are going to be working for free, and they're going to support that. And I think they can, uh, when they have agents at that stage, they can turn to them and say, what can I ask for here that isn't money? But what can I get that will contribute somehow to this task of putting a career together? And, um, you know, now that people can put their reels up on uh, on YouTube, that they can actually get people to see them with the click of a mouse uh, instead of sitting in a, on a shelf as a videotape, um, that means that that reel with some clip from a movie that is yet to be completed, but there's, you know, three lines of your dialogue, um, really can help a person in terms of creating a reel that somehow shows something, some viability of work and some of your talents. And uh, that idea that I am putting something together and it's investment after investment after investment, I think is a consciousness that the newly arrived um, younger actors and directors need to, to have because that waiting for a substantial break that will make the difference, there can be a lot of waiting, and that's wasted time of all kinds of relationships that can be created and experience that can be gathered, and all of it um, not noteworthy but valuable. And uh, so that's when young actors come through uh, my process. That's the thing I most encourage is just get out there, do everything you can, meet as many people as you can, feed yourself in whatever way you can best do that, and consider all of this a tremendous investment in a lifetime career and get at it. Is there, I've got so many questions to say, but uh, my first question is, is there a career path that, that one can encourage? I mean, in other words, do you look at each thing and say, well, you know, this is furthering me along, or this is a step backwards, or uh, because this looks like, you know, I uh, 
have access to new people or I might get some new footage. It's worth doing, but this other project, you know, I mean, are are we looking at, you know, kind of trying to uh, climb the stairs to a career? Are we all, you know, we hear about Hollywood actors making the right choices to advance a career or does the young, is the young actor not in that position yet to even uh, necessarily think? Um, well, you know, I have news. <laughs> I don't think anybody's in that position. Obviously, whenever one is allowed to strategize and make a career choice that has advantages, it either uh, creates some kind of advancement or it offers some kind of uh, access to relationships or experience more than another project or just the subject matter is more valuable in the world. Whenever somebody has that choice, I think that's fantastic. But the reality is, that, you know, you see movie stars doing, you know, uh, like look at Matt Damon. I mean, Matt Damon does the boring things, and then he does some dumb shit movie, pardon me in my language, (laughs) does some dumb script that you go, what is Matt Damon doing? Why is he doing this dumb piece of, and the reason he's doing it is because it fits. You know, it, it was six weeks that he had free while he was waiting for something else, and it was good enough, and he believed he could bring his, talents to it and bring it up a a notch or two by virtue of his being there and you see people major movie stars doing stuff that uh, they do to fill a schedule to keep busy to keep working uh, uh, to keep in front of the camera all the time so I don't know how much strategizing uh, there's only a few people who can really afford to only do the things that are the best and that they want to do because it brings in so much money they can afford to do that. But, you know, I there's not a person. I, I've seen Meryl Streep do stuff that I go, really? Meryl, were you asleep? Uh, but, you know, <laughs> it's something to fill in between two things she's waiting for. And you know how it goes, the, the financing, the script rewrites, the studio approvals. You know, you can have something on your schedule for September, and it's not going to happen till two years from September. Right. So, meanwhile, you take some things that are offered to you that might be a little less. And I think that that's what, um, that's what the young actor has to do. They're not playing with uh, whole scenes or whole scripts, but they're looking at what things allow me to work and be there as much as possible and that aren't beneath my moral standards, but um, in all other ways, just contribute to experience and, and creating colleagues. Uh, I think that is, for the most part, about as much strategizing as, as one can do. If only people, things were offered on the same day with equal amounts of money and you, know, you could make decisions uh, based on the pure value of the story. But I think the calendar has a whole lot more to do with it than, than content. Well, see, I, I love that because that's what you know the show is about, and the stuff that you offer is that, that insider information, where you know we watch, you know, uh, Entertainment Tonight or some show, and you know somebody's sitting down saying, well, you know, I'm trying to decide which of the many, you know, scripts I'm going to choose, and really what it comes down to it is 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 keeping your calendar full. <laughs> For the most part, and you know, one of the great things about. Hollywood is, you know, we are the myth creators. Yes. We also bought the myth of Hollywood. We all believe all of this stuff that's in the movies about how the movies operate. And the reality is the movies operate like a factory. You've got to keep the conveyor belt moving. You've got to keep the employees, their hands busy. You don't want downtime. Um, And 
ultimately a career is like that, and consequently you make some greater choices and some lesser choices. It is not this sort of, um, you know, boutique of good judgment that that we want to pretend or career planning. I, I can name for you a number of actors who I go, how did you possibly make that decision? You know, um, I've watched people that I've seen come up from the beginning, people I deeply respect, like uh, Clooney, you know, George Clooney, who's put together just a magnificent career as a creator and as an actor. And, you know, George hasn't, every movie isn't great. And he doesn't always get the things that suit him and all of that. And he's George Clooney. But he's right. putting together something that is constant. It gives him influence. It gives him the ability to select when he can. It gives him the ability to spread out and direct and produce. And so, you know, you put together a career. Um, his happens to yield plenty of profits. That's really nice. But it also means that, you do the things that make sense to keep you going and keep you in contact and keep you working with more new, talented people all the time because that's where the spark is. That's where when the beauty things happen, when the really brilliant, game-changing stories happen, it's not because they were special. It's because everybody's calendar fell together at the right time around the right project and that synergy happens on the set, and then all of a sudden you have a movie that really makes a difference. And very often there are movies that nobody expected would be the one that would make the difference, and then they do just because they also hit the zeitgeist, they hit the, the, the public consciousness at the moment they're ready to, to deal with a certain story. So there's so much of it that has to do with, with time and fate and much less about planning and strategy than, than people think. You know, I, I again, I'm so glad that you said that. I grew up with it's my oldest friends in Hollywood are, are George's cousins and 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 the Ferrer family and George yeah. himself and and all these people and, and growing up in Hollywood with these guys, and um, and uh, you know George, as you know, I mean was was like the uh, pilot king. He had all these pilots that never sold that he had shot and shot and shot. Um, but I sat, I sat with uh, his cousin Gabriel not long ago, and we were talking about George d around the Academy Awards, and he said, you know, and, and I said, did he do, you know, I mean, how did he, what was his breakthrough thing for him, you know, like with ER? And he just said he chased ER down like you wouldn't believe. I mean, he really yeah. worked that to get that. He did. And, he, and all the way, you know, because George came from a family that knows about this, you know. I mean, Jose and Rosemary and all those people in the family, right. they all had to put careers together. And the public never sees it until the career is put together. But right. all the little places that Rosemary had to sing and all the places that, you know, they – and George knew that. So he just did what it took. And sometimes when people are um, acting like, you know, he's entitled somehow and – I just know uh, how how many things he didn't get, how many things he chased, how many times he was told he was just a face, how many times he was denied the opportunity to really act because all they wanted him to do was pose. Um, and, you know, he has earned every ounce of the status that he has now. And I, there are a lot of actors who I think people don't really 
understand what it takes in terms of just your willingness to stay with it. Um, we see the rewarded part when somebody's getting Oscars and making a lot of money. But, you know, the number of things Brad Pitt did when he was coming up as just this blonde kid and the the things that he did and put together and the extra work that he did, you know, he talks about it, but nobody ever features that. They just, you know, talk about what a movie star he is today, which he is, and what a good actor he's become. And he did it by being a, a doofus extra and learning his way around a set and figuring out how to do it by watching actors that were ahead of him do the scenes while he was, you know, um, waiting to be an extra. And all of that stuff, that, that ability, this is what's great about our business, is that you can be an extra. You know, you can be a, a one-line person. You can be on a set. You know, if you're a surgeon and you're sitting upstairs in that balcony overlooking surgery from 75 feet away, it's not the same as being an extra on a set where you really get to see what a set's like. And, you know, actors and young uh, crew people and young directors and get this incredible chance to really watch people do it well, and that's how they put careers together. And that's certainly the case of uh, with George and, and, and those kinds of people, and they were smart enough to know that, you know, to just put it together piece by piece by piece. Absolutely. I, I mean, you're going to need to take a short break here, Sam, and then we're going to come right back. I'm really enjoying this conversation, and, uh, and so just bear with me for uh, a minute or two, all right? I'll be here. <laughs> cool. Uh, you're listening to Rexites Movie Beat. The official web address is R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S dot com. That's my name. I'm your host. It's Rexites dot com. Please share these interviews with everyone near and far, with all of your industry contacts and connections and friends, uh, because the, my guests give away so much valuable information. Uh, it's really designed to be a, a resource for you. That's why I created Movie Beat, was to, to be a resource for you and to connect you up with professionals who are working every day to make it happen so that you can make it happen as well. And all we ask in return is that you share the interviews with other people and that you leave comments with each interview or rate and review the podcast because all of these interviews are available as podcasts and available from the website. My upcoming guests, and I'll just name them quickly, and then we'll move on, is Gordon Firemark is my next guest. He's coming up. He's an entertainment attorney. He's going to be talking about different ways of fundraising, the New Jobs Act, and what that means for crowdfunding and, and that stuff as well. Um, after Gordon, we uh, have coming up... Uh, uh, Clint Howard uh, is to be a guest sometime coming up soon. I, I've got to check and see if we're still on target for the date. Uh, he's, he's busy working, and so that has, may have changed. Nicholas Tabrak is a producer. Uh, he's going to be uh, coming up after or before Clint, who knows. Uh, Kim Swanson is a casting director. She's in the Missouri area, and she's going to talk about what happens in that area of the country so that we can um, uh, tune in and find out about movies being made in the Midwest area. And then Peter Foley is a director and a musician, and uh, uh, he will be joining us as well. And those are all I'm going to tell you about for right now because we'll get back to this conversation with Sam. But we got lots more and many more uh, exciting and uh, great guests coming, so stay tuned. And again, uh, spread the word. Thanks so much. We were listening live or archived with Mr. Sam Christensen. Sam, um Again, you know, the, the, you know, the, the conversation I think is is worth so much because uh, what you said 
I mean, in so many different ways. But what you said just now, too, that, that we typically don't get to see – I mean, unless you're in the business and unless you're around some of these people, you don't even get to see how much hard work, how much effort, how much dedication, and how much perseverance it does take in order to to get some things to happen. And the idea of, of, of having quantities – I love that – of connections that you build – you know, from going from job to job to job, whether it's a free job or a paid job, you know, and 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 what you do to engineer and create uh, a career. Uh, most people don't get to see it. They they see you know the fan fluff stuff on TV, and and but even uh, even I'm not, I'm a transplant. I went from LA into the Wisconsin area, and and people here, you know, I'm on a set or they'll ask me about movie making or or something and. And I don't even think most people, and I don't, I don't mean this in any pejorative sense. It's just that, to me, there's nothing like being on a set where there's somewhere between 30 and 200 people. You know, I mean, it's crew and cast and everything. And and I always think of it as is everything in their place and a place for everything. And and people, you know, there's all these different positions and jobs. And if you're lucky enough to be on it as a as a worker or even a guest, it just has it has its own. Um, it's like I don't know how to describe it. I mean, if if they take over a street, it's like their own. You know, it's like it's, it is a factory. It's their own. Their own thing is happening, and and it evolved, as you said, because you know, um, it was a group of people who had to who had to put it together. And I've always said that, you know, each position evolved out of need. That one day there were silent movies, and somebody said, you know, we need plants. Oh crap, we don't have anybody to get to the plants. Uh, okay, you went out and get the plants, and the next day they hired someone and they made him a greens person. You know, what I mean, and so. Uh, uh, positions evolved out of necessity and and if thinking it through um, there is not to me there's nothing more exciting really i mean it, it could be boring while you're sitting and waiting but there's nothing more exciting than being on a set um how do how do um how do people i, I guess it, i'm trying to think of the question i'm asking it's um People in the Midwest, people people in the South, uh, filmmakers. I mean, there's a lot of people who are grabbing cameras and they're running out and they're shooting things, and they are making you know YouTube videos. They're making things that go straight to DVD. Uh, there's a there's a huge difference, I think, in 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 what you see on a screen in a theater, and and what you can make and what it costs to make something that you'll see in a theater. Um, I think a lot of people think. Paranormal Activity or Blair Witch or something like that tend to be, you know, they did it so I can do it. I and the bottom line is is you think that that with all of the stuff that's being made, the the different levels of quality, do you think that Hollywood or distributors or or uh, the future of the film business holds a place for all this, or is it still always going to kind of look the same? Do you think we're we're still we're still entrenched at least for the next decade or two of um, this is a professional movie or it's a studio movie or this is a professional independent movie versus the kind of, I don't want to say amateur independent movies, but really, truly, truly way off the map independent films? Did, did any of that make sense to you? Do you know what I'm asking? Well, I think so, yeah. I, I, I mean, here's, and this is more from observation over the last decades that I've been around it. Um, I think what's happening is you know the the big fancy high budget feature film will always be there as a, a spectacle. You know when I was a kid, it was 
Ben Hur, and you know today at the, the 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 effects movies, these giant spectacles that people go to, but at the same time there is a consciousness even in the spectacular of a much more um, complex psychological picture uh, like the Hunger Games or uh-huh. things like that that have a much more uh, complex human element to them than just spectacle. And um, uh, and that is, I think, because of the sort of influence of smaller film and, and a certain amount of television. And so now I think this you know, Hollywood ultimately has to be, television has to be about selling tickets and selling advertising. Right. Money has to be made. So I think the um, studio and networks and, and uh, cable provider folks and all of these small production companies that are two or three producing partners who put together projects for television and motion pictures, I think the consciousness is what hits um, enough of a formula that it's recognizable um, or breaks formula and it's a brand new thing, what either meets formula or breaks it and hits some kind of uh, sensitivity in the, in, the, in the mindset of the public, um, this sort of positioning of a project to kind of honor um, what sells tickets as well as what will be interesting or moving or groundbreaking sometimes as a story, I think that little combination causes people to sort of lean into projects that feel right to them stylistically. Um, And so you get people who are making um, motion picture sex comedies because there is a certain um, audience for that, but the way uh, a big audience for that. But the way that uh, Apatow, for example, does it is very different than the way another filmmaker chooses to do it. Um, and they sort of gestate these projects out of a combination of uh, a market opening that they see and the style that they kind of appreciate or enjoy. And all of a sudden, you get this combination that hopefully hits at the right moment with the public, you know, if it gets made. The, the interesting thing to me is the various ways things are getting made now, um, because there's a, a big tryout market that there didn't used to be. It used to be that you pretty much had to have a script and a budget and raised a lot of money and you were prepared to make the movie for a million dollars or seven million dollars or twenty-two million dollars or eighty-five million dollars, whatever you know aspect it fit into. Today, so much is being made off of uh, off of sampling. You know, going out there with some little idea that one hits on YouTube and um, and it sparks and suddenly money flows from that from investors or from a production group or or however and that's what has changed that's so interesting to me you know when Rodriguez made El Mariachi there was you know famously for seven or eight thousand bucks 
you know, that was him and a shoebox and a camera and three crew guys and, you know, whatever he could pull together to make this little movie. Um, today, he could put together that same idea in 15 minutes on uh, make a little YouTube video and maybe attract attention that would jump him the step from what he could do on a weekend into an actual budget. Now, thank God he made El Mariachi for that, and, and it was as wonderful right. as it was, and it, and it, I think, inspired a lot of people. But, um, but that has sort of changed. The ability to do a little audition of something and gather some interest because you can put it on the Internet again is, makes a tremendous difference to all the people out there in the world who are sitting in, you know, wherever they are in the country thinking, I want to be a filmmaker, and all of a sudden they can be a filmmaker, gestate an idea, do a little preview of it, and if it, if it hits that moment in consciousness, all of a sudden people are contacting them. You know, uh, you know William Morris now has ten agents that they have, and their whole job is to just troll the Internet looking for ideas, to just watch everything that they can see in terms of anything posted, for the spark of a screenplay, and then they get in touch with some kids out there in nowhere land, and all of a sudden these kids are in Hollywood with you know a development deal. It's just crazy, and but good because it used yeah. to be in order to get any of that, you had to develop all this cachet and all of this stuff that it took people half a career to develop enough cachet they could get in and pitch something. And now if you've got something with a million hits on YouTube, you've got meetings. And, um, so go ahead. Do you think there's a difference now, and, and like doing shorts? Uh, you could you used to do shorts, and maybe you entered them in a festival. You could do shorts and put them on YouTube. Without, I mean, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You think that the value for shorts has maybe changed from, say, festivals to YouTube? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I, I think our whole. I mean, first of all, the internet has made us all want things faster and shorter. So we have the, that consciousness to begin with. And then I think the accessibility of it, that it's there and you can watch something in three minutes and get a, a, a profound little story told to you. We have a sort of a respect for the short that I think elevates that, um, that quadrant of filmmaking. The people who like to make shorts, I think, become more important. But it also then creates this ability to sample um, and that just didn't exist before. You had to go and explain some story to somebody who was worrying about a call they were missing, and you know the the ability to go pitch something and do all that was just heartrendingly disappointing. And now you can sample your work. You can put it up, and any idiot in any office in town can go to YouTube and look at something that they hear about. And the amount that these development people are. Um, trying to get ahead of each other to find the next one of those is creates a competition that means you know a couple of filmmakers in Ohio you know two girls with a camera can become big film people just by sampling their work if they've got an interesting twist you know I was just looking up that Lena Dunham that we were talking about before that's uh -huh. the other thing I can look up on IMDb while we're talking and, you know, this girl has got this series now that I guarantee is going to be up for numerous Emmys because she directs, stars in it, and writes it. And wow. you know, her career started in 2006. Wow. And her big credit is Nurse Number 1. 
You know, I mean, she has made a couple of small films. She's done other wonderful things. But, I mean, if you look at her IMDb, here she is, the creator of a, of a major HBO series that is fairly looking like from the two episodes. I've only seen two, but it's a little bit groundbreaking in sort of the uh, urban sex comedy area. And, um, and here she is, a girl that has, you know, one-line credits. Four of her credits are The Voice. You know, she's the voice on something. So, and here's this wonderful, talented person who isn't one of the great beauties of the world, and yet she's going to be a star off of um, her talents, which are extraordinary, and the fact that um, these little tiny films that she did uh, and these parts in other people's little tiny films broke her into enough notice that Apatow discovers her or finds her or is introduced to her. I don't know how that association happened. But... um, you know, you go from third girl on the left uh, and not the pretty girl to, um, you know, a, a, a major media creator in five years. That's pretty good. Well, this 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 is something that that uh, you know this is this is uh, again fascinating, and that um, one of the things that really captured my mind and my attention, and I went, you know, I think that what most filmmakers are doing. And, you know where I think we should put our attention is in television. I mean, because we can pitch pilots easier than we can pitch movies, and they're more apt to make a pilot than they are to make a movie. I think, you know, was with the rise of uh, "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia" for FX. You know, and now you know where these guys uh, produced a you know legend has it they produced a pilot for two hundred dollars and absolutely got, you know and actually got it sold. And now you, you know, you point out, you know, Lena as. Uh, you know, a talent who who's now managed to be the the helmsman person of you know a new series for HBO. So I mean, it's it's. Uh, you think you think that 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 actually has any merit? My my idea here. I'm sure many people have had it, but that that TV seems to be the place to maybe put more of your efforts nowadays. Well, yeah. I mean. I- uh, yes, I, I don't know about more efforts, but I think the idea that there are these venues, television, both network, and then this incredible subculture of cable television, and um, that is so creative. I mean, with of course HBO being at the the forefront, but you know AMC and Showtime and the best shows on television are on on all of those networks uh, for the most part. Uh, so that kind of television, all the way down to the the lower end kind of cable stuff. I think the web and webisodes and web series are tremendous, especially among the demographic 30 and under who watch primarily that stuff. And there are webisode things that have more viewers than some network television things have um, that are all kids watching stuff and keeping up with web uh, webisode stuff on computer. And then you have this whole range of independent film from, you know, the tiniest thing all the way up to major motion pictures. So I think now that there's just so much to keep one's finger on, and I think the lower end of all of it, of of the web stuff, of TV stuff, and of movie stuff, that's the, that's the, those are the farm clubs, the, the tiny independent films, the, the little uh, television projects that are being created every day all over. I have so many students who are doing little kinds of interesting production stuff, um, and they start that on the web, hoping to get a TV deal from it, and that's happened to some of my students. 
and uh, and then you move up that TV ladder, and it is possible now to actually have a, a profitable career totally on the web. You know, you can have a webisode show and sell advertising and make more money than you'd make as an independent film director uh, if you get a web show going and an advertising thing going with it. So there's just all kinds of opportunities for young people to be entrepreneurial and to really create a financial and experiential base for themselves um, in these sort of the, the farm club end of TV, web, and, and motion pictures. And that, you know, when, when you and I began, that didn't really exist. There no. wasn't that low end of stuff. You just had to hope that some major or minor feature casting person or, or development person noticed you or one of the networks noticed you, and there were like, Ten venues, and now there are thousands of ways to get your work noticed and seen, and get an audience, which ultimately I think is the thing that people people undervalue. If you come in with a million views on YouTube, it doesn't matter if you didn't graduate junior high. If you can get something with a million or two or three million hits on YouTube, people have to pay attention to you, and to create credibility that way. Did not wasn't possible a generation ago, and now it is. And when kids take advantage of that, or older people too, for that matter, you know there are people out there in their 30s, 40s, and 50s who've chosen not to hit Hollywood or New York, and they put together some careers. They too can get a camera and put together something and get a bunch of kids to help them, and all of a sudden they can create. They're not dead in the water because they're 30. So that ability to access. Um, the chance to show your stuff and not have to enter at a high level is, I mean, that's America at its best, in my opinion. The, the fact that the Internet has manifested a real uh, democracy of chance, of, of opportunity in, in the film arts, it's a great thing. You know, that's, that is uh, uh, very cool. I, I want to follow up on that point in just a second, but I want to do something that I've been remiss on the entire show, and that is your website is samchristensen.com, and it's S-A-M-C-H-R-I-S-T-E-N-S-E-N.com, samchristensen.com. I realized that I typed it, you know, it's on the web, it's on on your biography page at my website, and it's, and it's you know in the chat room and stuff like that, but but I have not yet said it until just now. So listeners, pay attention and go visit samchristensen.com. Um, I, I want to comment on that. We've got probably about 18 minutes left, Sam. I'm going yeah. to hit you on the air and ask if you'll come back another time yet because there's <laughs> so much to talk with you about. I'm happy to do it any time. I enjoy it. Okay, uh, because I, I, there's so much, but I, I, I want to ask you a question about this. Um, and that is, when you and I were coming up, and before us coming up, I mean, people in the 30s, 40s, 50s, I mean, I think that today, um, you know, competition is competition and noise is noise. And there's, there's certainly the opportunity for more noise and maybe more competition than ever before because you're dealing on a global scale with, uh, you know, putting your video up on YouTube or something like that, where before, you know, I, I always felt I was just competing with other people inside Hollywood, you know. I mean, I didn't feel like I had to compete with people in Asia and China to become a working actor. I had to compete with all the other people, you know, that were vying for those same jobs. In other words, if I went out for the one-lined elevator, you know, delivery guy or whatever, you know, you you might have seen 100 people to, to, to read that one line. Um, 
you know, given given all of that, I always think that it was so much tougher back then. And I don't say that like you know I had to walk to school you know barefoot with uh, you know snow and blizzard and all that. And you have it easy. What I'm getting at though is that at one time. The almost the best you could hope for was that you could raise enough money to buy 16 millimeter stock, and go out and shoot something with people, you know, and then and then and then edit it. If you couldn't get a movie only in your apartment, you know, you had to find some kind of post house or something. I mean, it was very 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 costly, and 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 hence it was always typically in the hands of the people who had the money, whether it was studios or or uh, or, or, or wealthier independents. Where now. There's just every there's like no excuse not to be doing it. Well, if yeah, you want to do it, I think that's really true. There is no excuse. I, I mean, if a person if this is what they want and they're right. they're driven to be a storyteller, literally, you know, I mean, the, the, the poverty is an excuse. There's some kids that can't even get access to right. a digital camera, and right. that's the fault in our educational system, but. Um, ultimately, really, if you can get your hands on a borrowed digital camera and uh, you can get your little Mac to download, uh, a person can make a film from beginning to end by using the, 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 just the stuff that is available to us online as editing devices. And, you know, and kids do this. I mean, this is the thing. It, it, when, when the era that you're talking about, you know, to buy film stock and to get it processed and to rent equipment and to do all of the stuff was, and, and plus it had to look a certain way in order to be showable. Today, because of the small screen and YouTube, things can look pretty digital and pretty rickety, and we're used to it because, you know, filmmakers have chosen to do major films in that sort of style. So now you can put something together that's fairly uh, crude and truly a couple of kids and some friends can do it over a weekend and if they've got a story idea, if there's something in it that's worth telling um, and they've got good heart behind it, people will, will watch it and if they enjoy it, they'll tell their friends. And that thing of word of mouth, which used to really require people speaking to one another, now, word of mouth is because you can hit your whole email list. You know, you can create buzz on something. If it's buzzworthy, you can create that. It can be created around you in so little time. And so now when somebody is whining to me about, you know, wanting their chance or they can't get cast or whatever it is, I go, get a camera. You know, just circumvent the system. It's not perfect. It would be much better if you got discovered and got a major motion picture tomorrow. I grant you that. But in the meantime, while you're waiting for that to happen, you could certainly be telling some stories and getting some experience. And I really think there's almost no excuse now. It is pretty much, unless you are absolutely destitute and fighting for your next meal, and even then it's doable. Um, people you know, owe it to themselves if they've got this desire to, to know that it's accessible. Uh, and there are people that, that want to join up with you because they're in the same boat, and they want to tell a story too, and they want to be a designer or a director, or they want to you know, be a camera person, and um, pretty soon you, you, you make something. Uh, there's really no reason not to. Well, I, you may disagree with me, and I, and I hope you do, but, but, but I always felt that in the 70s my career – and I just use me as an example because you know I'm I'm one of the dumber people on the planet. 
And that is that I always felt my career was always in the hands of somebody else. I mean, I could not wrap my brain around how I actually could make a difference. I mean, I could I could go to workshops and I could try and make connections, but I mean, there was a point at which, you know, I had to rely on somebody to submit me or to try and get me auditions. And uh, where now an actor can take a camera, they can create their own content, they can they can uh, you know get it out in front of people and 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 do whatever they need to do in order to get as many people to see it. There are, as you say, people like from William Morris and different places that are trolling the internet looking for stuff. So I, I really do feel that the actor now has, again, their career. They can they can manage their own career better than perhaps ever. Oh, it's 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 absolutely true. I mean, you know, I, we all made it hard for ourselves uh, at various times in life and thought right. everything was in everybody's hands, but. That is certainly much truer when you were putting it together than now. You know, your options were not great. You just simply kind of had to wait because somebody noticed you or liked you or gave you a chance or you happened into a part that got some notice, whatever it was. Um, and that was really true. It was in the hands of, of others and of fate. Now there's a, a whole lot you can grab in your own hands. And, again, that's a, that's a, a credit to... Internet to the way right. the world operates, um, and to the fact that the internet has been this great democratizer, this equalizer, where you know if you can get it up on the screen, it's there, and and people can go see it, and they can do it with just a click of a mouse, and that's that's a tremendous amount of uh, of control and and self direction that that this generation has. And, uh, of course, you know, like every new generation, they can't possibly appreciate how hard it was in the generation before because they weren't there. But um, I just, every chance I get with younger people I run into, I just encourage them to know that a lot is possible for them and to just grab it because, you know, they can they can self-determine a lot, and they, they ought to. Well, and, and and I don't point this out to to console myself or those people who who have gone before. I, I point it out to say that the opportunities are so ripe, and so available, and so near that that please take advantage of them today. Don't don't wait another decade because it's re- I mean, maybe may be better a decade from now or worse. But right now, you know, is the time to to act. So. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, I mean, the fact that it used to be, you know, now's the time, but there wasn't that much you could grab and do. But today, right, now, I mean, there's a lot you can grab and do. And uh, and uh, I just encourage people because, you know, there are professions where that isn't true. There are professions where you absolutely have to wait for the higher-ups to make everything happen. And in the arts, it has really opened up, especially in the in the media arts. There's just so much that is possible for a young person to come and make their mark and show their talents and get ahead and not have to be at the at the determination of somebody else and so it just it feels to me like if you're in a profession where you have some of that freedom and some of that possibility grab it very cool now we have uh, at the very most we've got about 8 minutes left uh-huh. on, on on the for today and I, I kind of want to give you the opportunity. I don't, I don't want to steer it, but in eight minutes, because I don't know if I ask you a question, we can even begin to do something justice. But in the, in the remaining time that we have, is there a topic or something that you want 
to leave the listener with today that um, uh, because we've been talking about jumpstarting, you know, an acting career, or making, you know, having a successful acting career and managing it. Uh, let me let you have the last the last words on this. And well, you know, I really have two things. One, one the larger, and then the uh, uh, a grander sort of thing. And we talked a little bit about this the last time I was on, and I just want to. Uh, reiterate because it's I've been doing more and more research on it and I, I think that as um, as Americans as uh, adults uh, who care about the fate of you know the world and our country it's really essential that we ask of the people who want to lead um, if they have a policy on the arts and it feels to uh, you know, there are so many important issues in the world that it sometimes feels like an interest in the arts is, uh, or a policy on it is frivolous compared to, you know, a policy about poverty and war and social justice and the kinds of things that are, are crucial in our world. But I think to those people who listen to your program, who are folks who are storytellers and want to express, I think that we need to ask, uh, our candidates and the people that want to to lead us, do you have a, a, a policy about encouraging uh, and supporting the arts in this country? Because it is um, so sadly uh, under-supported and underfunded, and it's also been sort of cornered into some kind of intellectualist, elitist sort of thing, rather like some of the candidates were trying to make it somehow elitist to go to college, they've done that same thing about the arts, like it's it's frivolous and, and somehow not important, and it's vital. The, the stories that we tell are, first of all, ultimately what's going to be left of our culture, and the stories that we tell are also what move and change our culture. And without it, um, all of the issues that we care about are stagnated behind money. And when we stand up for storytelling and for the arts and the ability for um, stories to be told, whether they're in paint or on the stage or on film or in play or however those stories get told, um, when we do that, I think we're doing the best of what human culture is capable of doing, and I think we also do more for our children and grandchildren than some of the other policies that we pay more attention to. And so, uh, on an active basis, you know, we're entering into an election season now, and I'm just making sure that the candidates that I support um, are, you know, held to the fire in terms of making some kind of statement about arts and arts support and film commissions and. Um, arts education and all of that kind of, of stuff that can really, really make a difference. So that's something that I, whenever I'm given a little platform to say something about, <laughs> well, I, I, I want to. Excellent. And the other thing, uh, I, maybe on a less grand scale, but I also want to say to actors, um, you have a really interesting uh, sort of negotiation with the world. Um, you are sort of the last one chosen uh, in terms of inclusion in a project. Generally, your inclusion is uh, less 
there for the run of the movie. You may be there for three days or four days or six days. Um, your chance to get a role is a three-minute audition that you have to fight for, and it feels like you're at the bottom of the food chain. But um, the other side of that is once you're on the set, once you're on the stage, the cameras are rolling or the audience is watching, you are at the top of the food chain. You are the most important uh, person there because without you telling the story and wearing the costume and saying the lines, the director would have nothing to do, the set dresser would have nothing to build a set around. And that requires a really um, sensitive approach to one's work, to be able to have the humility to be the last person on the call list, you know, um, the first person to be gone from the set, um, uh, often the last person invited to the screening, to have the humility to do that, but then to also have the full pride and ego to step forward and take the camera and be the center of the story when it's your turn and then step back from that. And I, I just want to say to actors that I'm not sure that everybody appreciates what it takes to be that humble and that uh, forceful, but um, and it may be something they just have to know and, and accept, but um, I think it's worth uh, an artist, an acting artist, saying to him or herself, this is the nature of it. Sometimes I'm going to be treated like the last person anybody's concerned about, and then I'm in full focus and I'm the only person they're concerned about for the moments I'm on camera. And that, that takes a kind of concentration and commitment that maybe only the individual appreciates, but it pays off in good stories being told and actors doing the work that only they can do. So that's the the other thing I wanted to say this morning. No, that's fabulous, and I, and I appreciate that so much. And, uh, I mean, you, you very eloquently, you know, I guess kind of uh, summed up that aspect of an, of an actor's life. Like you said, it's, it's uh, very well put. And um, I can't wait until I have you back another time because there's more of that and so much more that I know you you have to share and so much more we have to talk about that we haven't even touched on. Uh, you always provide, I mean, you know, uh, so much value. And 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 uh, I, I again want to remind people that your website is samchristensen.com. It's S-A-M-C-H-R-I-S-T-E-N-S-E-N.com. Go there. And you got a new book coming out, and you've got workshops, and you do classes around, and, and so people need to go. And uh, if if you aren't or weren't already familiar with Sam, uh, you definitely got to go and visit his website and, and go back and listen to interview number one or discussion number one with Sam as well. Um, you do. You, you, one you, bad, you, wonderful thing. The way we work here is uh, we invite people to come and, and visit us at a, a free preview that I do, and uh, that's uh, so that they can get to see the studio and get to know me and uh, make a decision about whether this is uh, useful to them at a given moment in their lives. So um, that's really what our, our website and all of that is about, is inviting people to come visit with no obligation and give them a further chance to see if this makes sense for them. So I just want to encourage people to come and, and get to know me and get to know what we do and uh, see if it fits into their lives. Artists and wow. other professionals. 
<laughs> Very cool. Sam, it's been a pleasure today talking to you on the show, and, I, and I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you come back. We, you and I will talk about that, and then we'll let the listeners know when that's going to happen. Great. I'll look forward All to right. it. All right. Thanks a lot. I'll talk to you in a little bit, but okay. uh, for now I'm going to say officially uh, have a good day. It's the beginning of the week, so have a fabulous week. And, uh, and uh, until next time on the air. All right. Well, that was my guest, Mr. Sam Christensen, a fascinating guest, absolutely indeed. I'm so glad that he was here today. And I invite you and I encourage you to share uh, this discussion with uh, your friends and uh, your industry contacts. I encourage you to leave comments uh, when you're listening to this. If you're listening to this archive, you don't have the opportunity to be in the chat room, but you're listening to this archive anytime, 24-7, uh, please do leave a comment. And uh, also, if you listen to this as a podcast from the iTunes stores, uh, go ahead and rate and review the show. It helps us out, it helps spread my guests' messages to other uh, actors and other industry personnel uh, and and help them listen so that they, too, can benefit from the, the wisdom and the expertise that's shared in, in each of these shows. Uh, you do that for us. I really would appreciate it. I know my guests would. Uh, thank you for all the love and the kindness and generosity that that uh, my listeners and readers have, have demonstrated through the years. I really do appreciate it. And uh, um, I hope to see you soon uh, hear, or hear from you soon and, and you from me. Uh, so keep sharing the website. Keep in mind that I've got many more exciting guests coming up in the near future. Follow Sam on, on Twitter. He is at, at Twitter at S-A-M underscore Christensen, C-H-R-I-S-T-E-N, uh, did I spell it? S-E-N underscore Sam underscore Christensen uh, on Twitter. And uh, visit him at uh, samchristensen.com. And uh, you can become uh, a friend of uh, Sam's, I believe, on Facebook. I think he's got a, a Facebook page there, and I know he's on Facebook. And you can become a friend of Rex Sykes Movie Beat on Facebook as well. And uh, you do that just by clicking the like button. You can follow me on Twitter. It's Rex Sykes Movie BT. The last word is abbreviated. Rex Sykes Movie BT is it is abbreviated. Um, I'm directing a short film coming up in the near future. We've been working on that. If you want to follow uh, what's going on with that film, you can go to Serum the Movie on on Facebook. Uh, we're also Serum the Movie on Twitter. And if you follow us there or like us on Facebook, we appreciate it a lot. We uh, are creating a you know a production blog so you can follow us from uh, idea to screen. And uh, we're gl- glad to have you with us. All right. So everybody, stay tuned. Have a fabulous day. Make your movies. Complete your projects. Until we meet the next time, that is a wrap. <laughs>